Today's scripture reading comes from uh, the book of Proverbs, chapter 18, verses 24, chapter 17, verse 17, chapter 20, verse 6, and chapter 27, verse 6. This is the word of the Lord. Proverbs, chapter 18, uh, verse 24. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Chapter 17, verse 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Chapter 20, verse 6. Many men proclaim his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find. And Proverbs chapter 27, verse 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. This is the word of the Lord. We're in part five of our series, Blessed Friendship. And, you know, this is a kind of this is Labor Day weekend. Never quite know who's going to be here on Labor Day weekend. And so apparently you guys are the ones who don't have some great vacation plan. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but thank you for choosing church because that's it's because it's you should choose church because that's having the Lord. And thank you for any and all of you who are coming and joining us um, online. Now, just I want to give you a little sense of where we're going. This is part five. I'm intending one more message in this series. So it's a short series, only six messages, and we'll wrap up Blessed Friendship next week. And then we're going to spend about two weeks celebrating church. And so um, I will give a message about the importance of church. We're a new church as we're approaching our anniversary. And I just got wonderful news. We're going to have our guest speaker, uh, a brother I dearly love and admire. He's going to come and be our guest speaker on our anniversary Sunday which is uh, on the last Sunday of the month, the 26th. That's our second anniversary of a new church, all right? And so uh, we're going to spend two weeks celebrating our church and all that God has done, especially in this difficult... See, it's pretty much about the worst time ever to, to start a church. <laughs> but it's, it's at the same time the best time ever to start a church because people probably need the Lord more than ever, all right? So let's get into today's message. I've entitled it, The Essence of Real Friendship. The Essence of Real Friendship, Part 1. Steadfast, joyful self-giving. Steadfast, joyful self-giving. If you want to know what the essence of, that, that's it. Okay, that's the answer, all right? Uh, that's Part 1. Part 2, Marks of Real Friendship. So it's just a little bit of a deeper dive, what I'm going to say in part one, marks of real friendship. And part three, God's kind of eternal friendship. Part three, God's kind of eternal friendship. That's what the church is all about, okay? So, um, you know, I've been uh, preaching... Every week, and at least of all the messages, and I don't think even the one Pastor Young gave, you know, it still really goes back to this verse. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. All these messages are about that latter portion. There's a friend who sticks closer than a brother, and that's the kind of friendship that the Bible is interested in. That's the kind of friendship that the Bible is a real friendship. And these other verses, when you look at the, the book of, of Proverbs, there's multiple themes in the book of Proverbs about wisdom. I mean, I told you there's actually quite a lot about sexual desire. 
there's this, there's, uh, there's, there's uh, verses about how to find a good wife. Um, and then there's actually quite, a, and then there's a bunch of verses about money. And then there's a bunch of verses about this, the subject of friendship. And, and when I look at these and then pull these together, and you're trying to like, you pull all these, you pull these, pull these verses together, what is kind of at the center of the way the Bible thinks God's wisdom of what I'm calling the essence of friendship. So what's es- essence? Essence is, is that which is so essential that if you don't have it, you don't have then this isn't it. You guys ever think about that? I mean, um, I studied systematic theology um, at the doctoral level. So that's not a boast or anything. That's just because I'm a nerd and I kind of had a need to do that, okay? And, and there's this term of what is of God's essence. And the way... You know, theologians have looked at this. There's something like, if what is at the essence is it's so essential, this attribute is so essential, that if this attribute isn't there, God ceases to be God. That's, that's, really the, that's the way theologians think about that question. And that's a really helpful way to look at a lot of things in life. And especially this question of friendship. I think today, um, I can't really ever quite think of a time in my whole life, when I have seen this much loneliness. I mean, loneliness is a very, very serious problem. And I don't think um, people in America realize how, how desperately bad of a problem it is. And when we look at a lot of the young people today, just hearing so much about depression. When you hear something like, uh, we have an opioid crisis in America, do you know what that is? That's a loneliness problem. You know, I've heard it the other way around, too. Do you know how people beat drug addiction? How, they, how you can beat a lot of different kinds of addiction. It really, the difference is someone will walk with you. That's really the difference. You know, like if you have an alcohol addiction or a drug addiction, you cannot beat that by yourself. And one of the reasons why you probably have it is you're so kind of like walking through life and there's something that's causing you pain and misery and fear and, and inside. And, you know, and what we do is we got to numb that pain if it's fear, depression, rejection. How about self-hatred? We put that all together and it's so painful that, you know, we got to numb it. But one of the great, great answers for this is we have to defeat loneliness. So much of the reason why I chose this series, it's not just here we have COVID and let's talk about friendship. Of course, it's a tremendously important subject always. But you spend a year and a half socially distancing yourself from everybody else because you're worried that they have a virus, that they have a virus. And that's, you know, for people who are, um, who are genuinely you know, vulnerable, or if you have a relative who's genuinely vulnerable, they're a certain age, or maybe they had cancer, or maybe, um, you know, they're diabetic, or some combination of all of the above, I mean, that's a very serious thing, right? But we very much underestimate that if you're constantly, you know, away from other people, we're sinking into loneliness. <laughs> and loneliness is a really dark and bad place. So, 
let's talk about this verse. Like, this is where, what is at the essence of friendship? I mean, I'm, it's a roundabout way of saying, what's at the essence of friendship? This is so essential. It's essential that apart from this, you don't really actually have friendship. And so especially for young people today, you have all these friends through social media, and uh, you have friends that you like text with or Snapchat with. I want to, I really especially have this series for you because I want to ask you this question, are they really a friend or not? You have to see what is essential. That's what this first part of this message is about. So let's read this verse. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. That's Proverbs 17, 17. How about this? So let's go back to 1824. There's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. A friend loves at all times. And a brother is born for adversity. How about that? Doesn't it sound pretty similar? You got a friend who sticks closer than a brother. But then there's a friend who loves at sometimes? No, all times. And especially... He's like a brother born for adversity. How about this one? Just as ver- uh, chapter 20, verse 6. Many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find. Many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find. So you want someone who's, you know, faithful, his Faithful man, steadfast love. That's like, that's, those are put in the same plane in that verse. A friend loves at all times. And when I pull all this stuff together, here's the part I want to offer you. What is of the essence of friendship? Someone will willingly, joyfully give themselves to you steadfast love. A steadfast, joyful self-giving that is Steadfast love. I think that's what real friendship is. If you hang out with somebody and they watch football with you and you can get drunk with them, but they never give themselves to you, is that a friend? If you have a girlfriend and you like the same kind of clothes and you like the same kind of gossip, but she isn't your friend, you know, who loves at all times, who self-gives at all times, especially in adversity. Is that a real friend? If you have a friend who only likes to chat and text and blah, 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 but, but never hangs out, never will go out of your way to go hang out with you, especially if something is difficult, is that a friend? I don't think so. And that's not just my opinion. That's the Bible. Hmm. Now, let me kind of go into this a little bit differently. What does it take to be like this? I think when you observe people who are real friends, who are good friends, they have a certain kind of habit. And if you're going to give of yourself to somebody, there has to be something kind of like, you know, there should be, you're not giving your junk to people. It's like, you hang out with somebody and they give themselves to you and really what they do is they give their boasting to you. <laughs> or they give their anger to you. 
or they give their jealousy and resentment and like, you know, um, I, don't, I don't mean to be mean. To, uh, I, had, I had two friends in college. So I'm just thinking about like an example like this. They were really good friends at the beginning of the year. Halfway through the year, one of the guys stopped wanting to be friends with the other guy. Kind of started avoiding him. And the reason was the other guy had his heart broken from like his girlfriend the previous year. I mean, he was so in love with her. And I won't go into the whole details about that. The way she, it, it was bad, okay? It was bad. And about a year, year and a half later, he was still bitter about it. He was constantly either feeling sorry for himself or bitter about it <laughs> or blaming her. And he'll come all the time, like all the time, all the time, all the time. And the other guy, he bore it and he bore it and he bore it. And then he just couldn't take it anymore. <laughs> and so in one sense, you could say the guy, you know, he, he's, he's obviously in great pain. But, you know, at, at the other sense, who here is being like you could, the guy? He should have taken it more, right? If he had been a real friend, he would love at all times. But at the same time, if you're going to be a friend, you should self-give. And you should not just give the worst thing inside of you. <laughs> Isn't that just true? If you're a friend, shouldn't you give your, who you are? And you should want to try to give something good inside of you. And so, one of the first things I want to talk about is steadfast love. You willingly, joyfully want to give yourself, and you want to give the best version of yourself. You want to give something good inside of yourself. The way I put it is, you should actually seek some kind of virtue inside of you. You should seek humility. You should seek generosity. Um, how about, this is a little bit of a strange thing. How about, some people are very, very serious, very serious. And they actually think, I'm a very serious person. And you are just like, you're a very unserious person. <laughs> you know, people who are very serious, they're really boring. <laughs> you know? And so if you hang out with them all the time, they're, they're, they're like, it, it, it gets tough. <laughs> it gets tough. Because, you know, the, the world can either be tragedy, but there can also be comedy. And so... How about this? You should seek inside of yourself to expand your sense of humor. <laughs> and including, how about expanding your sense of humor about you? That's, that's very helpful. You know? Because everybody's ridiculous. Everybody's absurd. Everybody is self-blind and thinking better of ourselves. And everybody, I'm so, I'm so special. <laughs> right? And that thing that you do and I do, it, it, it deserves to be made fun of. Okay? <laughs> And if you have a good friend, they, they won't do it in a harsh, mean way, but they, they'll do it. They'll kind of gently like, ah, that's kind of what you're like. And if you could grow in humility, see, people don't think about humility and sense of humor. I think they're very linked, actually. All right? And so, you know, if, if, if think about this. If he wasn't so darn serious about that girl and always just spewing bitterness over her, Maybe his friend could like gently say, you know, oh, that again, hello, and gently kind of give him, come on, come out of that. There's more. There'll be a new love of your life soon, okay? Right? And that could help. But 
You give of yourself, and you should want to grow in the best version of yourself. And then give that to your friends. So when you're hanging out with your friends, you're not just like, I like this, you like this, we like it together. But really, you're not, you're, you're, you're giving yourself. Now, let me say it a little bit differently, okay? I just said all this. I want to say kind of the opposite because this will be helpful. Some of you are like, if I present something that's kind of a, a, a positive, beautiful thing, you're like, I, I want to chase it. Some of you are kind of like wired toward the, the, the negative, okay? And so you kind of need like, this is bad. See, this is what the bad looks like. You're like, oh, okay, let's like, let's not go there. So let me kind of art, let, tell you basically the same thing, but from the other end, which is the way we, which is human, human sin is like the self is always geared toward the self. So I, I, I've, I've kind of given you the Martin Luther definition of this, which I learned from my professor you know, Martin Luther, he had this Latin phrase, sin is the curved inness of the soul. It's the incurvatus of the soul. The soul is like always like preoccupied with me instead of like taking in the beauty of God and then giving the beauty of God to others. So it's always preoccupied with me. And so you're always trying to fill up this infinite space of the soul with other people. So, when you hang out with other people, you're not thinking about self-giving to bless them with humor or your kindness or your creativity or your gentleness or your generosity. Something about you that's something more inside of you because, you know, like friends don't go around giving each other bitterness and anger and like just, you know, if you have a friend and all you ever do with that person is, is look down on other people, it's not a very good friend. You should probably not be around that person anymore, I would say. Or maybe even better, what you could do is be a real friend and push back, say, can we just not do that? Like, instead of just looking down at those people, let's not take joy in pushing other people down, right? But the incurvatus of the soul is like this, because our soul is like, we have to have friends, and friends are really about using them using them to fill up something inside of you. So um, you feel like you're not much of a person and what you want is them to like you. That's one version. You're fearful of other people. You always feel like you're the small person. And so if somebody cooler than you likes you, then their liking you fills you up. But it's not a self-giving. That's a kind of using. So that's kind of like, I know that sounds very strange, but there are people-pleasing folks who are so very, very nice. And so we always think, they're nice. How could they be bad? But actually inside of this thing is really a way that they're trying to pull something out of you to fill themselves up. That's kind of a strange thing, but there's a sin there, right? How about another version? Uh, really common. You want to use other people to pump up your ego, right? So you're hanging out with these other people because they mark, you know, like, I'm the better kind of people. I'm going to be around these cool people, and these cool people like me. And since we're cool, and those other people are not, we're better than them, see? And so the, the group, these other people, are for your ego. It's about that, right? 
It's like, this is why all the pretty girls hang out with the pretty girls in high school. This is why all the nerdy guys hang out with the nerdy guys in high school. It's both their insecurity and the way they use each other to like, you know, for their pride and their ego. Or, you know, it comes out in other interesting ways. Uh, you like these fancy clothes. You like the cool cars. Let's just use the guy example and, the, you know, generally the gal example, right? And so you get together with these people and you like hanging out with them. And so on one hand, you can say, well, you mean I just love them. Really? But how come all your friends are only those people? <laughs> and if they're going through a hard time, how come they're annoying? You're avoiding them when they're going through a hard time. Because you don't really want to be a friend in adversity and in all times. But what you do is you want to be a friend <laughs> when you're hanging out with them. And like all their cool clothes and all their cool car and all their cool parties make you feel good about you. Pride and ego. See, it's a kind of, that's the incurvatus of the soul using other people. That's not real friendship. Hmm. Um, how about this? Or... Other people, they're around. <laughs> so they're convenient. So you don't have anything to do. They're around. They're willing to go hang out with you. So I especially think about college this way. <laughs> there are a lot of friends that show up in college, and they lived on the same floor as you in your dorm. And for about six, eight months, they were your friend. And then because they like to, have fun with you because they were near. And then next year, you live somewhere else, and that friendship basically just said, that was it. <laughs> that was it. Right? And it was a, just a kind of convenience because it's hard to have fun by yourself. And so we have to have some convenient friends, friends, which the Bible doesn't really consider much of a real friendship, Okay. Let me, let me give you this quote, which I think is just really, really wonderful. The way of the world is your life or mine. But the way of the gospel is my life or yours. Tim Keller. I heard that many years ago. That's really stuck with me. The way of the world is your life. Fill me up. The way of the gospel is my life. Let me help fill you up. And this is really interesting. When you go and do that and offer that to other people, you know what? This is really, you, we're always looking to be filled up. But the way the Bible shows us how to be filled up is as you give of yourself willingly in this kind of friendship, you know what will happen? They'll come back and love you. The love will come back for you. And then you get filled up by the love from others. That's how it works in the Bible. It's not you trying to get them to fill you up. It's you saying, I will. It's very paradoxical. Let me give my, of myself to you. And as I give myself to you, it's remarkable how then people will become friends back to you. Remember the first message I gave. How do you get friends? Be a friend. How do you get friends? Be a friend. And here's the essence of it. Steadfast joyful, self-giving, all right? Let's go to part two, all right? Marks of real friendship. And um, I want to talk about, it says here, you know, 
1717, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. A brother is born for adversity. Um, I want to talk about, you know, when you meet with other people, this is a fact of life. They're sinful. <laughs> okay? Okay. Well, gee, pastor, tell us something I don't know. No, you don't. I shouldn't say you don't. We forget. We always want to put, like, there are bad people over there, but these are the people I really, really like. Those bad people over there, stay away. These are my friends. These are cool people. I like them. Guess what? The people you like, they're sinful. <laughs> okay? So when, it, when you hear this phrase, a brother is born for adversity. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Generally, we tend to think adversity is like, okay, you know, I have a friend, and his wife just got cancer. Oh, my goodness. It's like adversity. That, that's pretty bad adversity. I have a friend, and she just lost her job. Oh, my gosh. Adversity. I have a friend, and, um, you know, like, uh, uh, you know, their son may have now just been diagnosed with, like, a learning disability. It's adversity. So we tend to think about things that people are not maybe at fault with. It's, it's, a, it's in terms of the circumstances, and it's a difficult situation. But let me offer adversity to you in a different way. Part of the adversity is they're sinful. <laughs> and let me give you a little piece of other note. So are you. <laughs> adversity. Your sinfulness bumps up against theirs. Okay. Maybe the worst version is just, you tend to be an angry person. They tend to be a late person. They're late for the seventh time. Now you're angry. Boom, adversity. <laughs> okay, that's kind of like a simple version. How about something like this? You know, Generally, if they're doing pretty good, let's just say, like, if life is zero to 100 and 100 is everything is absolutely fantastic and zero, everything is like they're in hell. Let's say if the number is like 50, if you can, like, rate where they are doing in life, it's like 50. If a person is above 50, you will like them. <laughs> okay? And let's say you aren't quite as patient as that. You're like, for me, you, your number has to be like 60. If everything's going well enough for you that you're at 60, then you will be a likable person. So you have a friend. They're more patient than you, by the way. Their number could be 50. <laughs> they'll like you, and you'll be, they'll be tolerable to you. Your number is 60. Okay? So you go through a period where you and your wife aren't doing great and you're not having much fun with your marriage and you're sleeping on the couch a lot. Okay, now you just went from like, you know, 80 down to like about 60 right there, right? And then your son crashes the car and then your boss gives you a bad review and now you're like down to 40 and 30. And you're just like, just fraying and just unhappy all the time. And your friend is like, well, as long as you were at 50, I was okay. But now 
you're down to 40. And hanging out with you the first time, the second time, the fourth time, and you're still down there in 40, and, like, you're still angry. It's slipping lower and lower. Like, when, you're, when we get low, you know what starts to happen? The number goes lower. You're unhappy. You're angry. You're, you know, you're, you're just, you have just low, you don't have much of a well of anything good inside of you. And so your, your soul is like slipping lower. It's like, well, three weeks ago I was at 40, but I'm kind of slipping down to 35. <laughs> One more fight with your wife and you're down like the 28. And your friend is like, it was pretty hard to deal with you at 40. And now that you're at 28, he ain't hanging out with you anymore. <laughs> That's it. That's adversity. That's adversity. I know it's pretty heavy, isn't it? Some of you are sitting here thinking, oh, crap, is that how my friendship ended? I hope you're not, I'm not trying to scare you. Some of you are going like, is that how I lost that girlfriend? Some of you are thinking, is that how my marriage went south? Yeah. This is life. This is life in a sinful world. You're sinful. They're sinful. When everything's like, nice, I'm a nice person. You're a nice person. We're nice together. We're, we're going to have good friends. We're going to be friends to the rest of our life. And we so underestimate that incurvatist. And we always think our number for how good we're going to be to our friends is a high. It's like, oh, yeah, we, we, can, we, can, we can handle a lot. But can we? So let me give you the other verse. This is uh, chapter 27, verse 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. So what if the friendship is kind of going south? Or your friend is getting really hard to take. Are you enough of a friend? To wound your friend out of love. Can you do that? Can you do that? And if you wound them, will they perceive it as a piece of love from their friend? Will they just think you're just a jerk? That's, that's, that's a very real thing there. So, mark of a friendship. Here's what I want to talk about. Can you bear someone else's sins and then can you humbly remember they're bearing yours can you bear their sins and can you help them bear their sins and maybe even repent and you are enough of a friend where this can be true of you faithful are the wounds of a friend you're willing to speak in there Maybe it is something that's hard, something that hurts. Why? So you could save your friendship. <laughs> or you could save your friend from slipping down from 40 to 28. You see what I'm saying? And their quality of life can go back up. And they could be a better person and a better husband, a better father, a better coworker. And you know, we all need that.
So how do you have somebody who will love you at all times? Who will, be, who will not only proclaim self-steadfast love, but they'll be faithful. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. And they can bear your sins. You know? And how about this? One of the most important ways they can bear your sins is to forgive you of your sins. Forgive you of your sins. We live in a highly relativistic and self-righteous age. And, you know, people don't have God. They don't think they need this Jesus. They don't need atonement, forgiveness. They think that guilt and forgiveness is some neurotic thing that religious people made up. But then when I see all these secular people, their friendships like just crack and end and they're lonely and depressed or they remain angry at somebody that disappointed them. And that just stays on and on. And then that friendship is over. But really the difference is forgiveness. It's it's like the person has hurt you and let you down. Can you forgive? And so, let's say it again. A friend loves at all times. A brother is born for adversity. How about this? Jesus loves at all times. Jesus is your brother. He was born for your deepest adversity. How about that? You don't think the gospel matters? Many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find. If you have no faithful friends in your life, You're like, all the stuff you're talking about, Pastor, I don't have anybody like that. (laughs) Like zero zip zilch. There is somebody like that. He's the Son of God. He's Jesus. See? If someone will be your friend like that, we have a chance. You know, this is where I think it's so important you go to church every week. Okay, I mean, I'm the pastor. I'm supposed to tell you to come to church every week. (laughs) You know why you should come to church every week? Because if your quality of life and your quality of soul number just starts to tank, you will come to church and meet Jesus. (laughs) And he will be your friend in adversity. He will bear your sins. He will forgive you of your sins. And when you're slipping down there to 28, 25, and everybody can't stand you anymore. Even your wife, who's supposed to like promise I'm going to be your friend for the rest of your life, she's like, you sleep over there. Get the heck out. I really can't stand you anymore. Jesus will be that friend. That's the gospel. And he has borne, and he's borne our sins on the cross. He's atoned for our sins. He's already forgiven you of your sins. And you just need to come back to him. You need to be with him. And you know the place where you get to be with him? In the presence of the Holy Spirit in church. I know you can always go pray and be before Jesus on your own. But you want to know the the primary place you're going to be near Jesus? At church. That's his house. Where his spirit is. And you get reminded of it with all the other people who have Jesus as their friend. Okay? Okay?
Now, I'm going to close this message. I already gave you Jesus as, the, as this best friend who bears sins and will forgive you. So isn't that interesting little trick there I did? <laughs> right? It's like, let's be like Jesus. You're as a little kid, you're, let's be like Jesus. You know why you should be like Jesus? Not just because it's a nice piece of religion. That's where real friendship is. The essence of friendship is right there. But I want to close by kind of giving you a picture of the Godhead and how that spills over into church. And so this is the Holy Trinity. There's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's really interesting. There's an interesting both and tension in the Bible. On the one hand, each of the persons of the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are the fullness of God. They have everything of the fullness of God in them, and they thus don't need anybody else. Okay, that's true. So the Son of God is not any less God than the Father. The Holy Spirit is not any less God than the Holy Spirit. All of them have all of the essential, absolute attributes of the God, and they don't need anybody else. But this is really interesting. This is really, really interesting. When you see the way the Bible talks, so I'm gonna, I'll just give you a little picture of this, okay? John chapter 17 is one of these unbelievable places in the Bible where Jesus prays for us. So I'm giving you a picture of what God's kind of friendship looks like inside of the Holy Trinity. So John chapter 17, I know I should have had this projected. You can just listen. Verse 22. This is how Jesus is talking to the Father. This is the way he puts it. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. That's his believers. Right? That they may be one even as we are one. I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Verse 24, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me. <laughs> that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Now let me unpack that a little bit. So, you know what Jesus says? He goes, well, I'm God. I have all the glory because I'm God. It's not what he says. It's not what he says. When he's talking to his father, you know what he says? Father, you gave me your glory. You gave me your glory because you loved me before the foundation of the world. And then the glory you gave me, I'm going to give to them. Why? So they can be one together. Let me translate that a little bit in the 21st century language. So they could be the absolute close friends like you and I are friends. How about that? You want to know what friendship looks like? This kind of special love. The Father gives his glory. He gives himself the best of himself. He gives the best of his glory himself to the Son. The Son already has all the glory of himself, right? But it's strange. It's really interesting. But what you do is you give, he gives of his best self of his glory to the Son. Let's use a little bit of a different analogy. Um, you have a friend 
let's say they're smart, let's say they're rich, let's say they're good looking, let's say they're popular, and you go hang out with them, and they don't need any more money or popularity, but you give of something of you to them. You give your admiration to them. You give of your generosity to them. Now let me ask you this question. Do they have more? Do they have more? So this is really interesting. The answer is, if they already had all that they need, in one sense you could say they don't need more, but when you give of your goodness and glory to them, they have more. You know, what do they have more of? They have more of a goodness that you gave to them. And that's what friendship is. That's what it is. And this is really incredible. In the Holy Trinity, each of the persons of the Holy Trinity have everything. They have everything that they need. But you know what they're always doing? They're giving themselves to the other one. That's what they do. And it's so special like their relationship is almost as they're not two or they're not three, but they're one. That's how close and beautiful it is. So that's what God is doing. And when we're made in his image, that's what he wants to give us. Jesus says, I'm going to give the glory you gave to me, to them, so they can have oneness, they can have friendship like we give friendship. So that we're always giving to each other and in a sense, we already have infinite, but we're going to have infinite plus more. It's kind of strange. In the Holy Trinity, they're always sharing and giving self to each other, so there's infinite plus more, and on and on and on. Infinite plus more joy, infinite plus more gladness, infinite plus more of the self-giving from somebody else. You know what the Lord has given us? That. <laughs> That's why Jesus came. So all our self, self-centered, self of the soul, all the ways that we're like, that's it. <laughs> I can't take this anymore. You can't be my friend. That could die. And we could be forever friends. And then there's, like, you have everything, but then, but you don't have this. I'll give you more of me, so you'll have everything and more and more. Forever. We'll keep doing this. It's just like, Endless fun. See? Do you think heaven's a boring place? It's endless fun. Like this. So I want to close this way. What is church? Church is the people that have received that from Jesus. So in the center of church, they practice the hope of forever friendship. Where someone has been given so much, and then you give them more because you give of yourself. And you just trust that whatever I'm lacking inside, my friends will give me and then I'll have more through Jesus. That's what it looks like. And if church would be like that, people will come to church. <laughs> and if church would be religion, then it sucks. <laughs> okay? Everybody thinks church is religion. But church is the stage of Trinity-like eternal friendship where we always give each other more. Isn't that incredible? 
just give you an illustration and let's close. I have a friend that some of you have heard about because you've been with me for such time. One of his, uh, his name is Nicholas Black. His wife is a wonderful woman, wonderful godly woman named Nancy Black. They have a son named Jeremy who's born with a genetic issue and he's paralyzed all the way in his whole body. Has for, for his whole life. He's in his 20s now. Doctors never thought he'd even make it past his teenage years. Nancy and, you know, Nicholas Black have a hard life. So they willingly, joyfully love their son at all times. And then they go to church. And then they give themselves, because they're filled with Christ, they sacrificially give themselves to all of their brothers and sisters at church. And their church truly loves the blacks. And they truly loves the blacks in Christ, through Christ. So a certain number of years ago, the church, they, they have this old building. It used to be a restaurant. So it's really kind of a weird building, which isn't really kind of like built to be a church. And worship happens on the second floor. You have to climb these stairs to get to the, the, the worship room. And they were going to renovate the building and you know what? Someone pointed out, not Nicholas Black. Somebody else pointed out, hey, you know, Jeremy Black is in a wheelchair all the time. How we, he's not going to be in the youth group anymore. And in the youth group, you know, we can wheel him in the first floor to the youth group room, but now he's going to become an adult. He's going to become an adult. You know what we need? We need an elevator for Jeremy Black. We need an elevator just for Jeremy Black. Isn't that an incredible thing? The whole church thought that way. And you know what? Nobody thought that was a weird thing. Nobody thought that was strange. They're like, Jeremy is our forever friend. The blacks are forever friend. And Jesus loved us like that. When we were paralyzed... And we were not much of a friend and always burdening Jesus. Jesus came from the Father and gave us the glory that the Father gave him to be our friend. Let's be each other's friend like this. See? So, I give you this story, brothers and sisters. I would like Revive Church to be this kind of church. I hope we will be this kind of a church. I hope that if people leave our city and don't go to our church anymore, they would say, that's the most painful thing, to leave our church with all these profound forever friendships like the Holy Trinity. Would you put that in your heart and desire that? And let's pray for that as we go to the table of the Lord today, okay? Let's pray. Father, we are users. We are filled with the incurvatus of the soul. We are, we have all these insecure egos. We have friends that are convenient. And it is not easy, Lord, 
It is not easy, Lord, to love friends in adversity. And it is so, it can be very, very difficult and draining to be a friend at all times. But if you were not true, and if holiness were not true, and this kind was real friendship was not true, then wouldn't we just be lost and lonely animals? No wonder our neighbors and friends are, you know, on alcohol and doing opioids, fentanyl, whatever the latest thing is, or we're just drowning ourselves in kind of like respectable drugs like entertainment or food, overeating. But Lord, we desperately need friendships, especially in this time and period. And we need the kind of friendship that you offer, the kind that is in the glory of the Holy Trinity that has been before the very foundations of the world. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came to offer to us your very best, which was given to you by the Father. And help us to want this and help us to seek your best in us so that we can give it to each other endlessly with the endless fun of forever friendship with humility and repentance and joy that can only come from you. As we go to your table now, may your spirit come upon us to an appropriate kind of humility and repentance and gratitude to receive of this great promise and to pursue this most tremendous gift, eternal friendship from you. In Jesus' name. Amen.